This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. Everybody, it is the Hooniverse podcast, and I'm your host uh, Jeff. Just one name, like Prince. Uh, Who, this who's, is episode who's Jeff. He's I know, so I haven't been here. Oh, well, I haven't so been here mysterious. in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, traveling and all that fun shit. But this is episode 110. That was the voice of Blake Z. Wrong, my co-host. How's it going, Blake? Pretty good. Pretty good. Glad to be on episode EB 110. EB 110. Chris, producer Chris, obviously as well. But we got a special guest in the house tonight, Mr. Alex Roy. How's it going? Uh, He's returned. Th- uh, thanks for having me back, guys. I can't believe after Moto Goatsy, I'm welcome in. LA. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that title. That was oh, yeah. a good one. I forgot all about it. That was, the whole power bottom business. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that was one of the. That's one of the great headlines. If we had to rank them, that was a good one. Yeah. The. Uh, <laughs> did you know that the nickname uh, that, that's kind of stuck to Matt's Mustang is the power bottom? Oh, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. I called it the Ford Power Bottom once, and now we get people writing in asking uh, about it. I saw it. that car at the uh, HRE Open House, and it's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> he did a really good job on that thing. I sat in it, I fired it up, and I revved it a few times, and I. Gave him the puppy dog eyes, so hopefully he's going to let me do some video in the car. So we'll see. Uh, But, Mr. Roy, what brings you to the West Coast? Uh, Well, the first topic I can't really discuss because it's legal. It's related to a certain film, and that's where we have to end it. Um, Sure. (laughs) The second thing was the uh, Petrolicious Rally, which you and I both attended this weekend. Yeah, you know, I was aware of it only at the last minute. And um, what's the guy's name? Called in a favor to Dennis Glavis? No. Option? Um, Dennis Glavis being the uh, owner of Morgan West. Not a favor to Dennis Glavis because I no longer get my car serviced at Morgan West. Uh, Uh, Oh, the other 15 Morgan dealers (laughs) in the L.A. County area. Right, right. Well, since they closed the Morgan dealer, the the dealer in, in New York is done. And I have two of them. And one of them's here. I found a Morgan owner, a three wheeler owner in Santa Monica who is himself a mechanic and took it upon himself to disassemble the car down to every last nut and bolt. Wow. In order so to seven car, of them. No, his own car. Okay. Yes, all seven bolts. And, yeah, right. uh, and, <laughs> to, and educated me as to some wonderful things about the car. For example, the now factory standard cooling fan, which was not standard in the early ones, which would explain why the engine always went into skip fire limp mode. <laughs> um, uh, the cooling fan uh, is pointed forward and the theory should only be run at idle to cool the rear half of the motor which is not designed to be mounted uh, sideways right. so it's actually obstructing air isn't it right and not only does it obstruct <laughs> the air but it blows it forward so if it's in motion and you're overheat it does nothing so he inverts the fan direction well <laughs> that seems science right and uh, and then you have the engine uh, you have the cowl which is, goes over the uh, oil cooler and he removes a panel behind there and then since the car has no heating he removes two panels in the passenger and driver footwell so Air goes over the motor, past the fan, under the cowl, and onto your legs. So you so, get nice hot air yes, blowing onto your at it's, all times. But that's it, why you got to wear shorts. But yeah, but it it runs better. Hmm. So and that's, that's yeah, true. Nice. You know, Morgan should pay you for all this R and D work you're doing for the. I wish they would. Future. These are like comically bad oversights, though. It's yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's quite an oversight. Also, they they managed to re, the, to make the rear wheel uh, round instead of square because it used to be just an anvil tied with a string <laughs> to the axles, and now they actually ah. fitted an actual tire on there. Nice, so. nice. But they are looking towards the future. That's true. Because they announced, uh, I think it was shown at Goodwood. I know it was supposed to be shown at Goodwood. Is their new EV3 electric Morgan three wheeler? 
which is did you know, like it could be pretty interesting. Did you know it's actually fifteen Black and Decker drills hooked up to a <laughs> to, hooked up to a battery, and then you just kind of have to Black have and to Decker. Hand that's those. awfully yeah. fancy. You know, I, I try not to have a knee jerk negative reaction to this, and but also not a knee jerk positive reaction. So I gave myself five days to think about it, and. What I'm about to say, you don't need to be Nostradamus to know mm-hmm. what I'm going to say next. This car is could be a game changer for Morgan. Hashtag game changer. I'll tell it you makes, why. That car makes all the sense in the world because you don't drive that car long distances. Right. It's basically only using the It weighs city. less. It is an electric. Well, it weighs less as an electric? Yes. It looks better without that huge Look, engine in the front. Let's get into the guts of this. A gas-powered Morgan three-wheeler has a range of approximately 150 miles. The electric right. one's range is 150 miles. This is the first electric car to that match matches. a gas equivalent. Okay? That's brilliant. Secondly, you remove 75% of the potential problems of the car. The exhaust's falling off and the motor failing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know that's done. And then you have all and then you have I like that, how that's seventy five percent of the problems. What's the other problem that's left? Frame. Well, you know, <laughs> a couple other things. But it doesn't matter because the driving experience is stellar. Now you add access to HOV lanes. Oh. Well and primary parking Plus all the inherent advantages of a Morgan three-wheeler, such as you always get to park it in the first spot of the valet yourself. No one else will touch it. Mm-hmm. Then here's the biggest advantage. If you I mean, get in a Tesla under an insane mode and listen to the – or a 918, like, like spooling up. Imagine you have a car with no soundproofing and mm-hmm. you're completely exposed to the noise of, a, of an electric drivetrain. It's, it, it You'll could actually be awesome. feel like it you're in a awesome. spaceship. Yeah. You you're like in you're an adult sized slot car. Yeah. yeah. yeah and exactly. suddenly this becomes a really cool car. Yes. Plus, in a nod to British aviation history, you could always call it the English Electric Lightning. Yeah. In fact, I would just put a lightning bolt down the side. Yeah. Um, so I think it could be really cool, but knowing Morgan, it's going to be, you know. Hundred thousand dollars. They'll figure out oh, some yeah. way, and like, then they won't actually build one. They'll, they'll build. They'll two. build like the spindle in the middle of the motor out of wood for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I'm, after it comes out, I think someone, and it's not going to be me, is going to try to build their own electric Morgan, and they should. It's hmm. cool. I mean, uh, you take a kayak, you put a couple wheels on it, and throw a fucking yeah, electric go. go-kart hey, motor in the back, and there you, you go. got two. <laughs> I Make have it happen. Two. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Let's look. buy a bunch of car batteries, right? You know, it, it's, it's, not, it's an open secret that I'm not that mechanically inclined. Um, but I'm sure I could find someone. Some, I mean, I get contacted by people all the time who want to do weird stuff. But back to Morgan, and then we can... Call the Morgan topic. They did build uh, two years ago an e roadster, which yeah, was a roadster with a with two gears, electric. But it had two gears, low and high, like the old Outrun video game. Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> and it had just a chunk. And I, I, I'm still trying to find someone in Morgan to explain to me exactly how that how works. Yeah. Um, and then prior to that, they built the Life Car, like eight years ago, which is yeah. the the Aeromax uh, like hybrid. They've done a lot with electrics, yeah. They should just they need to go full electric and three wheeler and keep everything else as loud as possible. I mm. bet you I know how they're doing the two speed. They're probably using an overdrive unit like you'd use on a uh, off road truck. And you can just turn it on and off instantly. Hmm. Huh. Huh. Uh, either way either way I saw the pictures, they had a rendering of a of a one done up like it was ready to tackle the salt flats. Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not, even more hardcore than that. It, you know, hardcore graphics. No, England rendering. has tons of salt flats. Yeah, you yeah it said Bonneville on the side, but it had the um, the solid dish wheels and everything. Yeah, so that's cool. kind of cool. So that's really cool. I mean, I, 
I'm more of a Morgan guy now, having lived with it, than I mean, I, if you told me to when I was a kid, I, I want to own a car that requires this much of stress, <laughs> I'd say never. But I love it. Yeah. Um, the 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 very first one I ever drove was yours in New York at midnight in Soho, and it was awesome. But the second one I drove was actually a Morgan press car through Morgan in the UK via Morgan's West with Dennis. And the first day I had the car, I'd had it for four hours, and then it broke and left me stranded for four hours. What was wrong with it? Um, some wire came off the, the something related to the alternator, so it wasn't charging anymore. And then it was I like just a ground I wire, I think. You pulled said. to the side of the road in um, a three wheeler, Corona Del Mar. Yeah, something came loose, and then it wasn't charging. Was it the one that's kind of plumb? The per- yes, that's, that's the one, one I drove. The one last, that that's the one I drove last year on a Petrolicious mm-hmm. Rally. I did 150 miles and it, with no incident, except my khakis were like speckled with little black dots all well, across. I, the, I had I got the car back a couple weeks later and it was one of the best weekends ever. So yeah, it's so cool. Who I mean, who else makes a car that gives you that feeling? I mean, no. a car, I'm, a, uh, I'm like I, an Alpha Four C. That's maybe the closest analog. Yeah, or like I, an aerial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, an but Adam, even then, those are so racy. It's not the same. You yeah, I feel like if you're an Adam, I'm sure you could cruise down the highway, but. It'd probably be intense. Yeah, but it's, and it's intense in the Morgan. But you can do it. You can but it's you know, put your arm you know, up. The sense of drama that makes you feel like you are like an RAF pilot and everything. The drama is the four C has that. I think. I think the Caterham has that, but not to that far of an extent. But yeah, I don't think anything it's else. It's like can the touch difference between like an old Norton and getting on like a CBR thousand. Oh yeah, you know it's that kind of. Yes, you know they share a format of sorts, but. It's a different experience entirely. You know, coming back to the Petrolicious Rally and the context of the Morgan in light of those all those vintage cars, uh, you know, it's it seems like, you know, if car, if you have automated systems going into or partially autom- some automation going into like AMGs and S-classes and high-end cars, that will trickle down. And even the brand new A4 yesterday is, you know, announced it's going to have everything that the A8 has to its automation. Oh, right. so, and so if you, as that grows, and you, so I think you're going to have three tiers of vehicles. You're going to have one track where you know, Toyota goes tons of fully automated stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have the second track of cars that you can drive yourself but have some automation. And then I think, little, I think the values of every single – 20 years from now, every single car – made between like 1980 and 2000 that is in good working order if it lacks any if anything that doesn't have a computer in it is going to spike in value even if it sucks like a corolla or anything something. Yeah. anything yeah. because that is going to be like the holy grail for kids today who yeah. just barely know about that stuff i mean any literally anything and if you have an unmolested miata from pre-95 oh, Forget about it. Right yeah. now, you might get four thousand dollars out of that. It's, yeah. it's, right now, it's nineteen seventy-two again. We're at the end of this crazy run of higher and higher and higher ports for our cars because realistically, we don't have that much more that we can push it with the technology we have as far as rear-wheel drive goes and, and tire tech and everything. Uh, and, and I think the noise thing is very soon going to become a legislated issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're at that nineteen seventy-two F-type. <laughs> yeah. Well, F-type ZR1 vibe. Everything's L-type, loud. Yeah. You know. Yep. Um, I think we're at the, that 1972 point where there's still some cool stuff, but you're going to hit a wall real soon, and then it's going to be very, very you know, a lot of automated systems and things like that to where it's going to be a completely which is going to be okay for 90 percent of the population because it's not like you know you had 180 right. horsepower Corvettes that were just miserable. No, but, right. but it's going to be like when I, when I was a kid looking back now, I could have had like a 69 Camaro if I you know 
had the foresight to like save up from the time I was like eight, I could have bought one when I was fifteen or sixteen for a really reasonable price. And then you would have been part of a Bon Jovi son, you know. Right, and just like Camaros now, it'll once again be the same thing. And where kids twenty years from now, be able to buy them for three grand a piece. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. I, I think. And so one thing we touched on in a past episode when we had when we spoke with Lutz is he said the future of driving will be on private country club racetracks. It's like like the way that you you're, you take your kids to ride their horses, you're going to go take them to ride, drive cars. And it'll be the only place you can do it. And I think I think we're a good ways away from that, well, significant ways away from that. But I think that is probably where forty fifty we years could be out. Heading. I was going to say fifty years too. Yeah, yeah. You know the you guys fans of Rush? Yeah, yes. remember the oh, song Red Barquetta? Red Barquetta? Right. I, just I, based I, on a short story by Richard Foster from right. an old Rolling Track issue. Like how accurate that song. That song yeah. is that story was it's a pretty bitching song too. Now the like you said, it won't be you know the era of uh, 180 horsepower vets because where we're heading is is increased technology, not restrictive technology, and it's all going to start with the highest level stuff. So it's whatever the net, not this current S class, but the next S class is going to be mind blowing, and the next A8 and all that stuff. So at least it's starting with cars that are interesting in some respect, mm-hmm. and then. It'll trickle down to more affordable stuff. So the the first step of that stepping away from you know, or the first step of taking your actually taking your hands off, I think will at least be interesting in some regards. It won't just be fully boring. You have you, you guys have all driven a car that's semi automated? I assume. Yeah, yeah. Some aspects, yeah. So I, I drove an S sixty three a few weeks ago. I had never ever been in a car and actually been behind the wheel and activated the systems. And the S sixty three system. If you combine the Distronic with the lane assist, we'll drive the car for up to 60 seconds. Then you get a warning, and then you can have you can get another 60 seconds, and then it shuts off. You just have to put your hand on the wheel and just kind of wiggle it up a little bit. And then you can turn, take it off. Do right. it again. And it was impressive. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw cool. it. Like, it changed my life. Hmm. And uh, well, I get that car on Thursday, so I'm very intrigued. Did you drive a coupe or a sedan? A sedan. Nice. It Nor- was, I mean, NorCal right now, they've got the automated cars that are actually starting to ride around Mountain View by themselves. Yeah. Problem is with those cars, they have to actually go into the geography and map out all of the streets where those cars are going to be driving on. And that's, you know, that's it needs to get to the technology where the cars can figure everything out on the fly. Okay. So they say they're doing that. I guarantee they're not because they've had a near perfect computer vision system going for like three years. That's something I'm sure they're probably just telling the public to make them feel good. Well, didn't that Audi just drive from San Francisco to CES or something like that? Mm-hmm. That was probably all fully autonomous, right? Yeah. There's no need to map that yeah, out. They didn't have to map that out. So. Yeah. Well, I'm curious because one thing they, didn't, they never describe is in what formation and context of vehicles do they go. I'm quite sure the Audi car did not just drive with four guys. They had four other vehicles bracketing it in like a formation. You with know, all the problem. German engineers in there. Yeah. There was, they, were, they, they let, I know they let uh, journalists ride in the autonomous car because they were the first five people in the state in California to get um, autonomous driving license or permits or something, which was actually kind of cool. That's really cool. Um, you know, it was like Frank Marcus from Motor Trend. Uh, it was Jason Harper. So it was a couple people... Um, and it seemed pretty neat. There was only one or two instances where they moved the car themselves, be it you know going parking it at the Seven Eleven around somebody's ratty old truck so they could all run in and take pee breaks. Some you know simple stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it was very minor stuff like that. The rest of it was all autonomous. I'll tell but you, yeah, it was probably bracketed by two Q Seven. Absolutely. The other thing I mean I was most curious about was you know what happens if you have lane assist activated with Distronic and you come to a soft exit 
So it's just a gentle curve to the right, the car, but the road is bearing to the left. And you know, it was 50-50 whether the car would track the exit <laughs> line or based on how good the paint was or how, you know. Mm, yeah. it, it, also, if you have Distronic set up, it's a, at the uh, longest possible distance for safety, you know, which I would do. You set the car at any speed. Having a single motorcycle track in front of the car. Oh, it can detect those. It did, but not as quickly as it did a car. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. And that was it. If it was two bikes, yes. And I was yeah. really, I was keenly aware of it. I was terrified I was going to kill someone. Um, you know, you don't want to be the guy in this class who hits a guy in a motorcycle. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the flip side, a, a more rudimentary system. I was in a uh, a Subaru Forester coming back from like a Buick press drive, and myself and the the guy who was shooting video for me that day. I was like, man, I wish this car had uh, Distronic-type cruise control like that Buick we just in. I was like, oh, shit, it actually does. Let's test the system out. And the not-as-fancy radar-based cruise controls are fucking terrifying because I can see what the car in front of the car in front of me is doing. And if the person directly in front of me isn't as keenly aware, I'm like, well, that dude should be braking. So, but they're not braking, so my Subaru's not braking yet. So there's times where the, when they finally hit the brakes, the Forester's, you know, digging nose into the ground, and it, it, some of the early systems are fucking yeah, scary. Yeah. Well, That's why the- it's, I think it's Infinity does it, where they bounce it under the car in front of it and also monitor two cars in front by bouncing radar off the ground, which yeah. is pretty cool. Well, who was it? What manufacturer was it a few weeks ago where they were doing a demonstration and they hit the freaking Volvo? Guy. Was it, it a was Volvo? Volvo? Yeah, but there Volvo was, does this all the it was time. the dealer thing, and apparently the dealer, di- I, I think, I could be wrong here, but I think they used a car that they thought it had an option that it oh. didn't. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I think. I remember there was something where it wasn't the car's fault. Something was wrong. There was human error involved, and it's fucking crazy. I was used Volvo. Yeah, for- <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I, I mean, in my mind, it's inevitable these systems will work in, at oh, some yeah. point. Oh, yeah. I, I, all the problems. I, you ever see the movie uh, Disclosure? With, yeah, uh, yeah, great sexy. It was that the one <laughs> when I was puberty then. So that's the one it? about the. Is that the? That's not the. What's the one? Airframe. That's the the oh. Michael Crichton book, Airframe, where the whole you know debate is really inspired by modern Airbus versus Boeing. Okay, because. Air, you know, Airbuses have more automation than Boeings. Mm-hmm. And are you guys any guys pilots? Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah. but I know pilot like real pilots prefer Boeings, and because Airbuses you just flip switches. Right. Well, in the Airbus you have different states, and there's like the standard state. Then there's I don't know what the states are called, but they are more automated. And the you know Airbus uh, pitot tube crash occurred a few years ago. Air France four four seven or whatever off it was. Brazil or, or yeah yeah yeah. And it, it, what happened was. The pitot tube got iced over, so the automation systems were unable to – didn't get the inputs they expected. Yeah. And then the pilots, their frame of reference was it works or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And they were unable to get, judge the gradations on the continuum of possible things that could go wrong and things got out of hand before they could really understand it. And they were unable to because they had no experience analyzing the analog data sets, maybe not even access to all the analog direct data. So if you think about what's inevitable, in, it, in, in China there are pilots. There are pilot schools who aren't even putting their pilots in like you know a, uh, small airplanes to just learn the basics of flying. They're just going straight to the automation. Yeah, but China's a little fast and loose on a lot of regulations. That's exactly true. Rate. Yeah. Well, I think so. Which I think what you're getting at, both all you guys, is where you're going to see this stress, which will uh, in the system of automation, the automate partial automation between partial automation and full automation is where all the problems are going to occur all, all, right, all the litigation is going to occur these systems are always going to work technically but the human behind it is always going to be the you know the 
deciding factor. Well, I mean, this is, and, and, you know, I've spent years working in the tech industry, and, and the one thing that you see is you see what seems to be an insurmountable problem out there for years and years and years, and then you kind of get a buggy implementation of it. But then the next thing you know, it becomes a commoditized solution, and it happens alarmingly fast. Um, things like, you know, computer vision and, and, and text, you know, contextual understanding of, of voice and things like that were insurmountable things 10 years ago, and in the last three years, Basically, commodity things where you can just go get off-the-shelf stuff that does it. And as they're and as they're figuring out how to work around that stuff, technology isn't waiting around. It's just got, getting better, 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 better. Exactly. So these the uh, the battery systems will always be improving, and, and the, well, the I mean, wiring Sam- will get lighter. And Samsung hit a major milestone over the course of the weekend with with battery tech, where they're like, we're going to be able to get between forty and fifty percent more out of a lithium-ion battery. Mm. I mean, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and I read an interesting article a little while ago that there's a company in uh, in Massachusetts, a guy, a professor uh, at MIT has a company, I wish I remember the name of them, but um, they've basically revolutionized the way that batteries are manufactured. It used to be that they were built kind of like a cassette tape to where they'd have a big film, they'd spray it with a magnetic material. Well, they used those old cassette systems to make lithium-ion batteries. Sony created the process. Mm. So they were using a system that never really was intended to make batteries to make batteries. Well, these guys looked, went back at it and went, why are we doing it this way? And they basically figured out, well, well, let's just make this slurry of battery material, shoot it into a canister, and battery's done. Wasn't that MIT? I think I remember reading something yeah. about that. Yeah, it's yeah. an MIT professor that started a okay. Don't company. you wish MIT professors spoke like they actually had Boston accents? Like, ah, so we <laughs> fucking, these batteries are wicked it's a, stupid. It's, think of a slurry like you get it, yeah. Duncan. <laughs> I have a you know, spread the donut But the cool batter. thing is, 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 on this standpoint, is it drastically lowers the cost of production and because it's now a slurry you're not wasting space so like any you use every little bit you exactly fill up that tube i've got a battery question so two weeks ago i saw a uh, a presentation by tesla and they sent an eastern regional guy to come high-ranking guy and he was talking about you know the uh, sustainability of the car and the recyclable materials and i asked him a question and he was a little vague on it and the answer can a tesla today that you buy today Ten years from now, presumably there will be far greater power density. Can you swap out your battery cell for a more powerful battery cell set ten years from now in your Tesla? And if so, what will the cost be? Because if you brick a Tesla now, what is it, $30,000 for a new I battery? I think that's what it is, yeah. So does that mean that in six years when they have a new battery set or whatever five and the guy's like "Hmm, well we haven't decided yet yeah (laughs) because that that would suddenly make tesla a lot more attractive uh i will tell you with the roadster they've been upgrading them along the line well there you go and you know with the with the quick battery swap thing that was a huge news two years ago or something like that 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 was always the intention yeah exactly that went away they couldn't implement it on their time frame why because i don't know well they could, but it was mechanically a process that could be prone to breaking. And right. charging tech has gotten so much better. They're like, it charges so fast now. You can get a full charge in one of the superchargers in 20, 30 minutes. Right. So it's just completely down to 30? Yeah. But they, then you could, you, according to that demonstration that's for 80%, that I saw. Right? What's that? That's for 80%, right? Yeah. Fast charge to but 80. But still, then, I mean, that's, no, that's a lot of 20. Juice. The mechanism of that allowed a battery to be swapped in three minutes. So, you know. That yeah. would be cool. I think it's well. I don't know if it's inevitable, but you ha- you have to imagine that you know the military has electric motorcycles and they're testing electric you know jeep type vehicles and they can't sit around to charge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's a scooter that's gone on sale in Asia for the last six months or so that's been kind of considered a revolution in this, and that 
basically you lift the seat up and it's got a big removable lithium ion battery like you know three quarters the size of a car battery and you lift it out and there's little swap stations where you go and pop them back in and you get another one out so it's like the red box of yeah of batteries in japan That's yeah better, cool. better place tried that in israel some, yeah and and i think they're selling them in south korea at this point but um, not north korea yeah not north no. korea it's th- that one up they there haven't gotten, still, they haven't gotten batteries wind up scooters yeah. uh but they're doing that there, and I think you'll see that with the military, is those kind of easily swappable packs. So another question for you guys, because you're way more knowledgeable than I am on almost everything. Um, there was that movie a few years ago about that first electric car. Um, Who killed the electric car? Yes. And I might understand, I never saw the film, that that car was leased only. You could not the buy Saturn, it. Uh-huh. The Saturn one? The uh, one that they crushed? Yeah, the Saturn EV1. Mm-hmm. Okay, GME so one, I should say. I would love to know if some insane well, environmental guy sat, had his car, quote-unquote, stolen and kept it and has been playing with it. Well, doesn't you know, the Peterson have two of them? The Peterson has one, one, and they were all supposedly decommissioned. Well, actually, the they ones... They were supposed to be returned and the ones that No, the ones that... GM allowed institutions to keep uh, EV1s, like museums and maybe like a technical institute or something like that, but they were um, somehow deactivated. I don't know what that means, oh, from but... from like HQ's like, boop, they all Yeah, they work. pressed up... Skynet pressed the button, well, and all of them just went, do Like, cellular connections? I have no idea. Those systems, know. back then, no way. So, no. someone could connect to one of those cars someone and could, start if you, could, if you could you know find what it comes one. down to? Somebody probably went in and pulled a fuse. Yeah. yeah. Possibly. Or maybe it was, like, the equivalent of that, that thing EMF they did gun. for cash for clunkers, yeah. where they sprayed in, like, materials through the intake. Mm. The same equivalent. <laughs> like, they just drilled holes in a battery or something. But, I mean, they're so valuable in their current state already, because there's, like, seven left or something like that, that uh, probably more than that. I'm just bullshitting. Um, probably not. The, yeah. I mean, if someone got one running, GM, just, like, an army of lawyers would descend from black helicopters. Oh, yeah, because there was only yeah. 100 to start, right, or yeah. something like that? Yeah. So I was having a conversation with a guy, a friend of mine who works at Cadillac, who absolutely hates Tesla? He like he just he, and it, right because he, no one's buying ELRs, yeah. right? But no, he's not loyal <laughs> to Cadillac in that way. Okay. He just uh, conceptually hates. He owns four nine twenty eights and a Citroen DS. Nice. Oh so, no, where do you talk to him? Okay, because okay, he's so, an insane person, right? So we're, we're having this debate back and forth, and I and I said, well, you know, for some people, it's, they just like it, and he then hates he says, Tesla because it works, and then he throws out this, which is I couldn't answer it. He's like, what if you know you're. Tesla dies in you know you can't like you can't jumpstart it can you and I was like well maybe you could push down a hill and I was thinking to myself the motor is connected to the drivetrain right yeah but mm-hmm. there's, if there's no if there's no it'd have to be a very long hill to but how, how enough would energy. a Tesla die Either the batteries Tesla, we're, ta- out? we're talking uh, Prius sorry Prius. oh okay Prius but dies the, right? it has a gas motor it's connected to the drivetrain right. so in theory you could push start it but a Volt the battery the Motor is not connected. No, to the it train. is actually. It is. It is. Well, it, it's, it's, it's a generator. It's a generator. Yeah. It's it's there's a. It can do both. Right. It right. can have a direct connection because yeah. they initially they said it wouldn't, yeah. and then like right as it came out, they're like, well, it kind of does. At you know to help it at highway speeds and to do this and this. So it can. I think it can connect and be disconnected. It's, it can do both. I think it's basically like a lockup torque converter. Where yeah. Can right. Just, yeah. And the Fisker Karma takes some of the Volt technology, but there that car does not have an, a direct connection to their wheels. Wheels. I sure would not want to have to try to push start a Fisker. No. Because no. that thing weighs eight tons. Yeah. And we have two at the Peterson. One of them doesn't work. Jesus. <laughs> I see them running around. 
around Orange County every now and then with the whoever bought them, or it's either some PR guy held onto them after he got fired because they well, still no, have manufacturer plates. I, well, they're running like forty five now. Thousand? You know, they're they're also um, they're also trying to restart the factory. I hope they they're do. actually planning cool. to. I think they're planning to build them. They're planning to build them in America. Lutz, well, you know Lutz didn't yeah. Lutz say he's well, going to do doing yeah, LSAs. Well, you know. He was putting. He said uh, that. That's CTSB motor. Yeah, that would be. Actually, rad. he was doing LS nines. Were they nines? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Would someone like to explain what he's doing for the? Oh, audience? you see here, Alex. You take you take all this all this fancy schmancy crock of shit of electric crap. <laughs> you put in some real American firepower, and then you go up and bore holes in the sky with this shit. Give me a cigar. Let me up, baby. He's doing. There's either ZR one motors or CTSV motors. It's, I think it's ZR one motors. Yeah. Okay. That 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 would be a great car. It would be awesome. Yeah. And he uh, styles them so they don't look like the Pringles guy. I'm okay with the whole car except the the the, uh, the grill. Yeah, have you ever had to sit in one? Have you ever had to sit in one? Yes, the back seat. Have tight. you ever had to sit in the back seat? Yeah, but it, it's, oh. it's but you know something. It's the same size as an Aston Martin repeat it in the back. Feels, right, yeah. It feels uh, way tighter. Have you, have you guys me. driven one? I have. I've, yeah. Right. For like I, I, I two hours. It, I thought it was like a locomotive. I thought it was a really cool driving experience. Uh, I, the thing that pissed me off, so I, I, for the first half of the day, I was stuck in the back seat because there's three journalists in this car. And I, I, so I was miserable, miserable, miserable. And then when it was my turn to drive, I had to slog back from where we changed over to the hotel in Beverly Hills in stop-and-go L.A. traffic for two hours. I'm like, this is the worst fucking car ever. <laughs> uh, I, the driving experience went out on the road. It was nice. Uh, but I, I, it was a bad day. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say the Fisker is kind of like, I don't know it's like a Morgan, but it's one of those things where I don't care about any of the drawbacks. I want to be seen driving that thing. I don't care if it's slow. Absolutely. I want to be seen in that thing. Car. Yeah. I, I, I get that because it is, I mean, you're like, oh my God, what is that spaceship over there? And you're like, oh shit, that's a Fisker car. It's a 21st century DeLorean. And it sounds neat. Yeah, I, I could see that. But. If I'm buying the car, I'd rather, you know, P85D if that's what I'm well, going Well, yeah, after. you know, you, you, but you get this like, for like 50 grand. I like making the wrong car choice. Me I do, oh, yeah. So but, do I. But I just, that day, <laughs> that day in the karma killed it for me. I hated it so much. You're saying you got bad karma? Yes. Some of that yeah. Karma? Yeah. Ugh. That's, That's what awesome. I named it, Karma. You know that, right? So journalists can just throw shitty puns at it. What they start at? 105 or something? They started at like it was big money. Or something I think, like that? I think that's a car that has the potential to be worth a lot of money 50 or 60 years from now. Yeah, but you have to maybe. hold out for 50 or 60 well, years. And, and the electronic and the, the UI, the whole like user interface was so terrible yep. when new. Right. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. ready when they released the car. Like, Who's going to fix that? You know. Well, we put a, a leaf in there, though, so you can see they embossed a real leaf in there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before we sat down and started going off all these tangents, Alex, you mentioned that you're you're cooking up an article that we can talk about, I believe, right? Yeah. This was an interesting topic, and it, I think it's going to be a rabbit hole here. So I, I want you to present to everybody listening what the hell I'm babbling on about. All right. So if you drive around L.A., as I do... And for two weeks straight, leave my hotel in Hollywood and go to meetings you know, in Beverly Hills or Century City, glass high-rises, and you drive a Morgan, you get to park your own car. So you get down into the guts of the best parking levels of these buildings, and you see what everyone's driving. Who like One quarter of the top 1% of America work in these buildings. Mm-hmm. They're all driving the same set of cars. They're driving a Panamera or an S-Class AMG. They're driving, you know, a 911 with everything on it, Turbo S. They're driving a Cayenne Turbo or they're driving the BMW ecosystem vehicles or it's always the same three vehicles. Right. And so there was a time when a 911 was what you bought 
as your fourth car because you bought it. You brought it out to drive it, and it was a fairly stripped vehicle. Uh, even into the nineties, a nine nine three is a fairly basic car, even optioned out. But today, nine elevens are literally what the nine twenty eight was supposed to be. Nine elevens are GT or GT cars. God, that's such mm-hmm. a good point you make. Yeah, there. a nine twenty eight. It's funny because the nine twenty eight was supposed to replace. It supposed, it. Yeah, it was supposed to replace it, and so now. The 911 has become what the 928 was supposed to be. And if you want a really dynamic Porsche driving experience, you get a Cayman. <laughs> or you yeah. buy a 1983 Porsche 944. Or you, or in the, you buy you know, a 911 of some turbo, an old one. And so, what is, so I started thinking about what, what is a fourth car for the people who really want to drive. Because uh, this is anecdotal. I've gone to a lot of car meets in L.A. in the last few weeks. And... You don't see that many late model Porsches. You might see some Ferraris, Lamborghinis, but they're not driven in the canyons. I never see them in the canyons. Nine nine ones. Yeah, I never see late model no. top end sports it's, cars in the canyons. It's uh, as I said before, the nine eleven is the Camry of Los Angeles. So yeah. I started thinking about fourth cars and I realized that everything I own is a fourth car. Oh yeah. What used to be a fourth car, a nine eleven a nine nine three, that was a what was once a fourth car has become a first or second car. Right. But what are great fourth cars, cars that even if you use them as that a first car. That you can car, buy them new right yeah. now or used cars? That well, you new. Buy. And and that right. I think we are seeing the decline of the fourth car, mm-hmm. of a car that's that's purpose-built. And I don't – and there's always track cars. Don't sure. count. Right. You know, the um, I think a fourth car is defined by being a car that doesn't do everything, that cannot be optioned out to do everything, and that has specific omissions in its envelope of capabilities. And that – is something in LA where you're really judged by what you drive. It says a lot more about you by driving a car that's specifically not good at something, mm-hmm. but great at something else. And that's why I drive the Morgan. And I Alpha 4C seems to be... Fisker well, Karma. Fisker <laughs> Karma. Mm-hmm. But there's, for everyone, there's a different one. Um, Alpha's absolutely on the it, list. Yeah, I mine. think one of the reasons that the used car market is exploding, seemingly inexplicably, can be explained. There is a shortage of brand new fourth cars. Hmm. Like Porsche, does, everything's homogenized. Yeah, Porsche has chosen not to make a stripper 911 or a car slotted below the Cayman. Right, but hmm. if they did. That there's no act. profit margin on that, though. You know, you say that you can't tell 20, no 20, 20 years ago and everything, when people actually bought Porsche 911s to drive, there was so much more emphasis on buying a sports car. But these days, like, the sports car market has always been declining year after year because cars are so expensive. Cars are expensive to build. They're expensive to buy. So people can't necessarily compromise. And, you know, the types of people who drive those Range Rovers and 911s and work in Century City, they're not, they're not going on weekends to the canyons Well, the other necessarily. thing that I think has happened is that We've just started to, you know, over the years, I mean, cars become, they start out very, very Spartan, but as happens with every single car that's ever been made, feature creep comes in, and now across the board, the baseline for any car is honestly pretty nice. I mean, the cheapest thing you can buy now is a Nissan Versa, right? That's leagues better than most of the stuff that we drove in the early 90s. I mean, those were tin boxes. You get in a Versa now, and yes, it's a cheap car, but you're like, yeah, it's a car. It's got, but fine. it's got Bluetooth. It probably has fucking heated seats. Exactly. It, yeah. It could have nav. So, so you gotta buy. You gotta car companies gotta assume that you're gonna buy one car that you expect to do everything. Consumers wanted cars that did everything. That's why they bought SUVs like crazy in the nineties. They wanted they wanted a room. They wanted a high seating level and everything. They wanted to go drive to the friggin' desert and then drive to the soccer practice the next day. They wanted a car that could do everything, and that's why people buy crossovers. And I think, especially with Porsche, we're seeing the effect of. The bottom line comes into the company because 
we all remember how they were struggling before they started releasing, you know, before the before the kayak came out. Yeah. And then they do that, and they find out, oh, we can do all these options and a billion different things and a different configuration in the 911. And suddenly they go from a relatively modest, you know, profit margin on the 911 to an astronomically high one. The most Just, profitable car company. Because people need red fucking seatbelts. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. they were going to pay 800 bucks for the option. Well, it was like, I mean, you were, when we did the giant drive shoot a couple of years ago, and we had that, that Carrera S that was there, and every inch of the car had yellow trim mm-hmm. to match the yellow exterior. I mean, Sweet. every last thing. Even the key probably. was awful. Yeah. Did you guys it was read, a good car, no, but it was car. too much yellow. Did you guys read Matt Hardigree's article about press cars today? I did. Very, I did. Very well done, very well researched. And, um, you know, he, he does raise a good point that if you're a PR manager and you have a fleet to look, you have to option the cars and order the cars yourself. And that got me thinking, you know, whoever does that at Porsche probably has the best job because they can just be like, yeah, <laughs> leather air vents with contrasting stitching. Why not? I like, though, when you get a candid moment with the PR person, and we're getting a little off topic, but you get, a PR, you get the PR person – and I had a press car from a luxury British maker of sedans. Uh, and the color choice was... <laughs> How many does that make? The color choice was horrible. Horrible color choice. Yeah. And it wasn't Aston Martin. Uh, uh, but the, because um, Aston's known for their sedans. Right? Uh, <laughs> and no, I sub- really want to drive that Lugano, But the uh, So it was like mint green on the outside, white on the inside. It's it just this weird so color combination. So mints of cars? I, no, I, I didn't put this in my story, but I said it felt like driving an NBA draft pick suit. Uh, it was just, it was ill-fitting, and it was not a good choice. And it felt and, like being stuck in Michael Jordan's closet. And I was talking to the PR person, and they're like, "What do you think of the color combo?" I was like, "Well," she's like, "She's like, no, it's terrible." Uh, I uh, transpose the color choices I want, and I ordered it backwards. I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit, that explains a lot, actually." Wait, that actually doesn't explain anything because having a green interior. No, isn't this exactly one tastefully. This one was. This one actually had purple and yellow in it. This was a different one from the same manufacturer. Oh, think because there was cars. that one. Company from that. Uh, there's that one car from that manufacturer whose name begins with, whose name ends in Tli, and um, it was like a it was like a magenta slash pink outside with a white interior with piping that matched the exterior, and I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was the funniest. That might thing. be the that might yes. I don't know. Yeah, that's hence the dra- NBA draft pick suit. Yes. But um, but it's funny to get some insight into the ordering process sometimes, and sometimes they get it right. I've been I've been. At the factory in Aston Martin, where the PR guy's like, "See that one over there? That one's coming home. I spec that one, and it's like red. Well, that was black like the, wheels. That and was like the GT and, that you brought over to my place. It was like other than this, other than maybe a couple of decals, that car was perfect. Oh, the, the green one. Yeah, yeah, that was that, that was, was a great one. car. Yeah. Yep, that was. Well, you know, one. these people just really need to know how to drive tastefully, <laughs> like we did <laughs> this weekend at the Petrolicious Rally. Can you talk about that? Because I've yeah, never, let's talk about that because we completely veered off like eighteen tangents. I had but, to, I've been a lot of events. I've never met a nicer bunch of guys and a cooler collection of cars than that event. Absolutely. That would be heard, my yeah. number one it's, reference for how to do such Porsches an event. It's Porsches and Alphas, yeah, but that's Petrolicious's crowd. But I think this year a lot more American cars showed up. Like there was that sweet Buick that looked like it was ready for a career Panamera. So you can – it doesn't have to be European for the Petrolicious rally? No, it just has to be old and cool. Okay. Um, some Actually, not even that old. Some guy brought a Porsche 968 Coupe, which was awesome. It was, yeah. like, the, it was like that purple color of the uh, – the 
sound deadening stuff that the listeners can't well, see. Edmonds right now. brought their vet, which is I mean that's which a is hell gnarly. Of a pr- uh, that was really gnarly. Fleet car. Uh, there was a there was a sweet '68 Camaro. There that was, was your a, van, VW van. Was that P- Peterson brought the Little Miss Sunshine Volkswagen oh, van, mm-hmm. which was cool, and Steve McQueen's Hudson Wasp that he daily drove for that's years. Cool. You know which what you should have really done? Cool. You should have put a mannequin in a sheet piled into the back of the van. Yeah, the van. <laughs> yep. great. Uh, I was writing in it back to the Peterson, and there was a little placard with all the information on it, and I pasted it to the window while we were driving, and people on the 10 freeway were reading it. Oh, oh great Smash, drove that. Yeah. Crash. But uh, I was riding with my uh, co worker slash friend Sean who uh, when he was 13 his dad his dad who was a big hot rod uh, guy and a photographer for the magazine um, bought a uh, 72 Pontiac Le Mans luxury edition so it had wire wheels and a vinyl roof and all this chrome oh how the it. GTO fell yeah exactly <laughs> it was 1972 just before the shit hit the fan yep and um, he basically it was a two-year process but he completely redid the paint and it's it's white with blue, um, like, squares all across the middle of the hood and, like, the back. It kind of looks like a stripe but doesn't go all the way to the end. And it, it says Le Mans GT on it because he basically made up a fake trim. Imagine if Pontiac had built a Le Mans GT with Krager wheels and a spoiler on the back. And, you know, it sounds gaudy if I say it on here, but it looks awesome. Oh, that and good. so Sean and I – Sean, who dresses like a 70s guy anyway, and I just basically went out as – Vice Squad 72. Nice. <laughs> we went as a buddy cop show. We did a lot of hood slides. What was also interesting is that there were several women came with their cars who were dressed. And there was one woman, this gorgeous woman, in this yellow pants. Yeah, suit. the yellow jumpsuit. And she was driving Alpha with with matching yellow bumpers That's and like rocker cool. panels. And it was it was like that is what the community need, wants and needs. It's like a mini Goodwood yeah. festival. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I, Goodwood I'm more festival. interested in what Alpha. I have a picture of it here. You can tell oh. me. Yeah, actually, yeah. you know, Neely got her number. You know what she reminded me? <laughs> she reminded me of like I have this big uh, coffee table book of '70s concept cars, which is uh, all period photos of all like the most wedgy and insane concept cars, each paired with a girl, and she looks like she probably like came off the hood of a Lancia Strato Zero or something. I mean, I so so <laughs> <laughs> look at this picture. So the what made it good though, Alex, is the is the sense. Oh, that's perfect. Was it the quality of the cars? Was it the the people themselves? Was it the roads? Every single was one of everything? these people is insane, like me, like you. That they love their car. And they think it's the best. They, and it's and not to go back to fourth cars, but I think one of the conditions of a fourth car, every one of these things is a fourth car, oh, is yeah. that it's a car you own. You're not leasing or financing. Right. Everyone is. And you're going to own yeah, for a long you're time. You're going to own for a long time, and you're invested. And it, it and. When you get into your other car, you miss this one. Mm. When you get into this thing, you don't miss what it, the first one. Right. right. And, that, and that was apparent. Every single person was so proud of their cars, and you could see it. And when you go to – I've been to some meets you know, in uh, Woodland Hills and Sunday mornings, and a lot half – half the field are cars that are leased, late yep. model sports mm-hmm. cars, right. that they, you could see the insecurity in the people talking about the, the specs and the horsepower, knowing fully well that next year they'll come back with a different car. Right. Yeah, and, and the other half of the cars at Supercar Sunday have four sale signs on them. You know, that, that's the thing. <laughs> people say people, – how many people have you met who say, I'm, I'm passionate about cars, I'm a car guy? But to be passionate about cars, you have to be passionate about your car, yeah, not right. cars in general. Yeah. Not passionate for horsepower, passionate about driving 
your car you love. And that's that's what got me so bad about all the stuff that's happened with my Miata because I was so passionate about that car and I wanted to keep that car for ages and ages and ages. And you know, it just kind of I kind of felt like I got flipped on my head where everything I felt to hold true about being a car guy and everything was completely like the opposite. So, anyway, I felt so good to drive my truck this weekend. Because <laughs> I hadn't driven it in weeks and it didn't overheat and but yeah, I drove it to Target. I actually drove it to Target twice because I had to buy a new bookshelf. And the first one I was putting it together and I got a third of the way in and I bought like a really cheap one and I went to flip it over to get to the next part and it just ripped apart. I was like, oh, well, time to go get a second one and take two of this. Uh, the second one works perfectly though. Oh, awesome. Uh, but Did it was fun to, to take the truck. The I just threw it in the fucking truck. It was, it was really inexpensive. So, oh, okay. So it sucked and it was annoying, but oh well. You know, I was uh, last week, the day before the Petrolicious Rally, I got invited by Magnus Walker to go down to his facility. And have you, mm-hmm. all you guys been there? No, uh, Rick, no? come on down, yeah. mate. <laughs> so, <laughs> wait, how did, how did he, you introduce him? Into, he was like, oh, you're a TV all collector? Notice collector? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know I was going to get a tour of his facility. And it, it's all great and fun. And this guy's passionate about his cars. But he's one of the most lucid and charismatic speakers on the topic of passion for what you own. And he said, and I thought I was full of great quotes, and I'm always trying to steal and plagiarize, <laughs> but I will give Magnus credit for this one because it was such a beautiful quote. He said, you know, these things are all beautiful jewelry. They really are. But, you know, the, the owner provides the glue that binds – the owners are the glue that binds all these cars together. Ah. You get a par- otherwise, it's a parking lot full of cars. Mm. That's and, true. And, uh, you know – it doesn't matter because these cars all become reflective of your own personality. That's why you drive a Citroen SM. It is, and he, you. you know, to hear him talk about it was great because I know a lot of people who have cars like his and more of them, but I don't sense that how much glue they have put in between the cars no, or no, into the cars. They, once yeah. they start talking about value of yeah. all the, you just yeah. zone out. Like he I, said something really fascinating. He said he's only ever sold two cars. Wow! And I was thinking, I've sold. Two cars. Huh. I own all nine other cars I've ever bought. I could see buying something you really, really love, but then finding something else that was maybe significantly more expensive. Like 10 years down the road where you've got a lot more money in the bank or something sure. like that, and you go, I really like both of these, but I can't justify sure. having yeah. – you know. I, I get that where if you do that or if you just don't have the space that's for like it. a last minute rationale instinct kicking in right there where you're like well I'm I'm in the red my accountant's gonna fire or me. if you need to move on to some like like having nine cars is great well I can't afford to run them all so they're all <laughs> sitting in blocks yeah. and I cut the right. insurance but like it's like when I a year from now say I want to move on from my truck to something else because it's time I won't I won't be giving up on that truck uh, but but I'll be excited to, to get something new and make it my own and, and all that stuff. He said something else very interesting. You know, I asked him if he knew the guys at Singer, and he said yes. And in fact, one of the guys who was there, I was, I think, worked for a Singer at some, some at one point. But he uh, was explaining to me that there are people who want a Singer, and I see a Singer, I'm like, wow. Yeah. But he, his cars are very much not Singer condition, not meant to be. He doesn't build cars. Mm-hmm. He builds Magnus Walker cars. And people want those because they're his, and they're I guess Walkerized, which is a totally different school of thought than Singer. Yeah. The Walker cars are not perfect; they're not meant to be. They're not meant to be stock, or and they're not meant to be Singers. And the value of a Walker car is completely different. It's like I mean, the, the mindset's completely different, and it suddenly turned me off to Singer in a yeah. way because they're not meant to be driven. No, they're 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 artwork. 
Yeah. And I, I'm okay with that. In the glass that. garage. Beautiful. They are. But I, I like to drive my cars. Oh. Yes. And that's what the Petrolicious Rally is all about. Everybody yeah. drives their cars. That's why, yeah, there, there wasn't a singer on there. No. That's I don't funny. think you'll well, ever see. I mean, how many singers are there in the world? That's true. But, yeah. you know, if you're, you're going to have $600,000, a million dollar new uh, Porsches and everything. I guess some people are just going to you know, be able to mount them to a wall under Bel Air condo. So here's a clickbait title for an article I'm not going to write. Is Singer the the AMG of 2015? Because there was a time AMG was outside Mercedes. Right. Alp- I don't, what exactly is Alpina's relationship to BMW? Because that's a weird one. Less line. so than AMG. Well, it's, it's like AMG back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, I mean, but they've been with them since forever. Like 72 or something. Right. I, the other day I saw a fake uh, M7 badge on a, on a 7 Series. Nice. Sweet. And then I was th- wondering, I'm like, given all the articles that, what's his name from Build, Race, Party? Uh, Bill Caswell. Yeah. Um, he's always railing on BMW. But somebody at BMW has some dignity because they refuse to green light an M7. And yet they green light an, an X6M. Don't, don't tell me they just green light an M7. They've been talking about it for no. a couple weeks. <laughs> they, 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 they lost whatever shredded dignity they had when they built an X5M and an X6M. Which, which is, oddly enough, the fucking fastest car they make, too. Yeah. Is it? It's, it's so fast on a racetrack because the, it has this trick suspension system in it where if you take a corner, uh, say you're taking a hard left, it will... On a the child outside died. suspension, <laughs> it lifts it up and keeps it flat through the course. It's, it's unreal. When you, when, you actually, when you actually step on the throttle, they have that baffling system where the engine noise comes through the speakers and a voice actually goes on and says, you're, yes, your penis is sufficiently sized. <laughs> Whoop-a-dee-doo. I yeah. see. I kind of I like those cars, not because they're great cars, but because some engineers at BMW sat down and went, these are big pigs, but we're going to make them do things that nobody thought they could do. Some engineer was like, he got the memo, he was like... <sighs> Yeah, seriously. let's get to work. And then they built something amazing because they're German. If they hadn't, they'd be executed. Yeah, but I'm just happy that because I've always been a Mercedes fan, so I'm happy that Mercedes took over. Where BMW just said, "Fuck it, let's build, let's build a model for niches that don't exist, and let's invent oh, them." And- wait a second, there's no Mercedes equivalent to an X. Yes, there is. There's, an there's X5. a GLE. Oh, a GLE. Well, there's a GL63. Well, there's a it's GLE, not as which, fast, but it's still 500-something horsepower. There's a GL63, which is a big one, and then there's a GLC, which is the small one, um, and then there's the GLA, which is the smaller, smaller more one. more importantly, there's, the, there's a new A45 with 381 horsepower. That's gonna, that's, I'm cool is with that. Is that all-wheel drive? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm cool with that. That's cool. But that's you know what I'm not cool. cool with on the X5M is that it's the first – I think is it was it the first – no, it's the second BMW to break the nomenclature system. Previously, it was an M car. The M replaced the letter – Z4M. The Z4M was the, the M first Roadster, to place the M after and then have two letters, and that just cracked my mind. And then they won M, too. Yeah, because yeah, okay they didn't want to tread on M1. The M1. Right. You know, all right, so here – another top clickbait article I'm not going to write is – I think there's like a, there, someone at, at BMW Mercedes must have like consulted like an expert in like semantics and linguistics. Oh, absolutely! In order to deter how to break the lo- the psychology of the customer and to 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 cut the loyalty of a customer to a specific model and ally it with the brand. So if a brand new three today is the same size as an old five. And you used to own an old five. You are then moving up into a new five, which is size, size of an old size of an old seven. Right. So you're, they've broken your alliance, your, your loyalty to that model. And then by and then by adding nomenclature, so the four door is a three and the two door is a four. Yeah. And inverting 
the number sequence. So it's in you think the, the full inverse of the number of doors. Right. Yeah. You are then breaking the logic of the system, yep. which forces the, the consumer or, or prohibits the consumer from knowing if they're getting something parallel to what they used to own. There's a yeah. there's an awesome it's car and dri- there's an awesome car and driver article that was printed in a, a few issues ago, which I read about eight times in a row just to see if I could wrap my mind around it. And this guy was like, "All right, so BMW." The guy was like trying to make sense of this BMW thing. He was like, "Okay, it's it's a it's a two door if it's an even number, unless it's a, it's got GT on the back, and it's a and it's a uh, it's it's oh no, sorry, if it's a uh, if it's a Grand Coupe, but if it's a GT, then it's a four door, but it's got a five door too, but it's not an SUV because SUVs all begin with X, and then uh, got it." And, and, at the end. and the use of the word coupe to describe a right. four-door vehicle, which just in total violation uh, yeah. of Oxford and all the dictionaries, right. is really like kind of offensive. Yeah. yeah. It's and Mercedes a, is the first perpetrator of that. That's true. But um, they never referred to it in the car's name. They call it the CLA and then – No, CLA. they call it – CLA, sorry. I remember when I was – and this is back when I lived in Palm Beach County. They did run ads for those things there because it was Palm Beach County. Right. And – they did go. This is the world's first four door coupe. Oh right, that's true. Okay, but it's not. Uh, but it's not in the car's name, Grand Coupe, which right. is well, worse. Like, which BMW does. This is. It's a. People have written articles about this, but the offensive part is really the breaking of language and the inversion of expectations of consumers and the dissolution of logic and nomenclature is a broader problem, which is goes back to, you know, the notion that they want to keep a customer in the ecosystem. Right. And move them up the ecosystem, regardless of the customer's needs, right? And invent needs. So, which is oh, part absolutely. of just which is why there was a GT and whatever. Well, and a definitely is not and a that's, grand that's, tour. That's, that's right. why next year the two series will be a line of coffee makers. Right. You know? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, the one series is a segue, um, <laughs> and that's why you pull into any Century City parking garage and you see all those BMWs. Right. I would say, and again, this is why, and I'm absolutely convinced. Uh, Honda's old CEO said, "In the future, there will only be four global car companies, and Morgan, because <laughs> nice. they've absolutely ignored this logic, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and which makes it and the illogic of such cars makes them logical. I gotta I, say though, the Morgan lineup has not been the most easy to uh, dig your wrap your mind around I've either, m- because there's the two, there's the plus two. They once built a car called the plus two plus, and there's also the f- the plus eight and the four slash four, right? Different the four, from the plus four. There's the plus four, and then there's four slash four, four, and then there's a roadster which has a so largest engine. But the four four would actually just be the one. Right, exactly. Right. The yeah. bottom line is you just when you want a Morgan, you just go see a guy yeah. and then you point and then he says this is what is available in 18 months and then that's what you take. You just go on eBay England and then you just say I want that one. How many pounds do I have to give I you? I give Mercedes a lot of credit though because Mercedes at least while the displacement doesn't necessarily correlate to the number anymore, which bothers me. At least there's still a clear delineation in their model lineup of this model is above this model, and mm-hmm. this one's got a bigger motor than this. By looking at the badging, you don't necessarily know what the exact displacement mm-hmm. is, but you know where but it sits. But it's become harder to tell, just like Audi, from the road unless you really know the cars. Mm-hmm. Like an A6 and an A8 looks so close. Mm-hmm. An A4 is getting there. But not in there. profile. No, nah, not in profile. You can see the nose and the tail, right. but from behind an yeah. A6 and an yes. A8, unless you know the tail. I see, I see a, a Q5 lines. and a Q3, and they look exactly the same to me. But – to Audi's credit, and it's probably because they come, even today, still outsider status. They're still trying to catch up. Uh, their lineup is very simple. Yeah. Totally. It's, Absolutely. It's, they have the lineup today that BMW had in, two, in 99. Yes. Pretty much. In 2002, to before credit. everything went weird. Yeah. 
but, but now Mercedes has moved. Like the new C class looks like a little S class, very much so. Actually, Especially the fascia yeah. and stuff. I think it, I think those proportions look better on the C class. They look they pretty good. The they do. They look pretty good. But the yes. E class is about to get that treatment. The the baby basically the S class treatment. Yeah. I gotta I gotta say though we were talking earlier about like you know smaller cars in the German lineup with all the options of the bigger cars and I drove I drove a like a seventy thousand dollars C class with all the <laughs> options of an S class so it had like the heated armrests. Uh, and it had the center console armrest, and it had like the Distronic and lane change and all this stuff. It wasn't even AMG. Honestly, I like that better than the S Class because it's not as ostentatious and it's easier to park. And those two are considered luxuries as well. Mm-hmm. So you have all the trappings of an yeah, S Class in a smaller. If you package. were the average LA buyer of that car, you would spring for the AMG badge yes. and you'd do all the stupid bullshit to it. <laughs> which is why, I, if I am ever in the market for one of those cars, I don't know why I would be shopping for a new car of that stature, I would absolutely go the route that they go in Europe and take all the fucking badging off. Yeah, I well, you that. can order then, it from Mercedes with badge deletes. I, and, yeah. there, here's a topic I should, should have brought up first. What, what happened to the notion of where is the Q car? There are no more Q cars. No, no more Everything, Q cars. if you have, like, the, the M5, was that the first? No, the, the Mercedes 6.9, the 450 SEL 6.9. The 6.3 before that. Yeah, that's the original Q car. Right. Now, today, you can't buy a Q car. No, everything has to look like it can do a trillion same. miles an hour and eat your children. Right. And that's that sucks. It, unless you buy an Infiniti, and then you're only getting a Q right. car. Right, right. Uh, which was mm-hmm. their stupid thinking there. Huh. Actually, it's not stupid because the, I the, hate Q, it. the Qs are pretty quick. They're good. No, the, no, the, the, names, the cars the names. are, <laughs> but the names are stupid. The right. cars are actually pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, but... I feel like they traded on some brand heritage that they built up. Like you started to, especially if you were in an age bracket where you're like, oh, that's the new G37. So you knew what the G was. You knew what the FX was. Oh, that's that neat looking crossover that actually is fast as shit. But now the G it's changed all a lot of Q. things. The G infinity. The G changed everything changed. for infinity. But yeah. to them, they go further back. They're like, no, the Q45 changed it all for us. So that's right. The Q45 was their first car, but then that takes away the significance of the Q lineup because that was always their flagship. Right. Uh, I got to say, I really like that Gen 1 Q45. With the, without the grill? Yeah, I thought See, it was I like, so really I like cool. the M45. That, oh, yeah. That yeah, the, cool, like, squared mm-hmm. off one. That thing really, was cool. Those were cool, too. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, so, that's speaking kind of, of Mercedes stuff, uh, you recently did a little bit of a road trip with Mr. Mike Spinelli. Yes. How'd that go? You know, I, I had not driven a new car from anyone in several years, deliberately. I have no interest in new cars. And that car... The AMG GT. GT the AMG GTS mm-hmm. was a terrific car. And several friends of mine who had them on order called me up and asked what I thought. And I gave them three pieces of information. And they both, like, their jaws dropped because they had not read this anywhere. The rear view mirrors, the right and left on the A pillars, are so large. And the belt line so high that you come out of, say, an alley or an intersection with those pedestrians. You know, you're, you can't really see left and right. To the point that I thought it was unsafe. And I love this car. Uh, and I'm coming out of, say, an 88 BMW M6, which is an enormous greenhouse. The visibility is crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing is that even though it's $145,000. Sounds right. Okay. Yeah. In order to save weight, it's very clear to me that they cut a, a very large amount of, sound, of soundproofing from the car. The road noise is enormous. Right. And these big fat tires, and so you know the irony there is that you have the nine fifty four hundred dollar Burmeister system, which is now standard in that you car. Can't hear. Oh, and I used to sell high end audio, and Burmeister was always in, in the home for the home a vastly overpriced 
under-engineered, foolish brand really? known only for being all chromed out and looking cool. Huh. Nobody in their right minds would ever buy. I've, I've never seen a Burmeister system in a home, in anyone's home in, in my life or even heard of one in, in a customer's home. Every yeah, once in a while, you'll see some crazy asshole with a Macintosh. Yeah. But Burmeister is 10 times more expensive yeah. than Macintosh. But Jeez. in a car, it's priced comparably. Somehow, Burmeister got that deal. Now With Mercedes and Porsche. Right. Now, so I know for – well, I have two points to make. The first one is that is a car in which the stereo is – it's pointless because – the road noise is so high that the noise floor is so high that even making phone calls while on the road is kind of a problem. Wow. And I thought that was really interesting. And f- for the person who wants to make phone calls and cruise around, an SL 65 AMG is a better car. Which, you know, I did drive an SL 550, and, you know, a lot of, you know, you look at this car and it looks like a big whale and you can't handle it and everything. That car drives very well. It's supremely comfortable. It's quick as hell. And, uh, yeah, if you're gonna cruise around and make phone calls, that's it the doesn't car. look as the cool. SL, as the, AMG. the SL is old Mercedes. That's, that's true. What that is. But that AMG GTS, like I got in that cut out of that car, and I was like, if I was going to get a new car, a new two door GT, I might pick that over a 911. I might because it's very it's small. small. It's, it's more interesting. It's yeah. very interesting. It feels like you know you're like you're wearing. Armor, you're going into battle, and yeah, it's really it, small. If, it's great, it's great, yeah. but it's 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 almost becoming homogenized, and yes. that GTS feels kind of raw. Well, there's I a mean, lot of two doors I would throw that either as expensive, less expensive, or more expensive than a Porsche 911, and in almost every example, the 911 will be the on paper better car, no question, mm-hmm. and it prob and it wind up losing to most of my choices just because I find the other choices either more interesting or more dynamic, you know, something like F-Type Jag versus yes. 911, taking the Jag yes. every time, V8 Vantage GT versus 911, oh, I'm God, taking absolutely. the Aston Martin, yes. even the fucking the Z06, I'm definitely taking the Z06 <laughs> Alfa Romeo 4C, yeah. even though they're not con- directly compatible, uh, oh, that's AMG so GT, haven't yes. driven it, but I can probably bet. Because I like Mercedes, that I would take. And yeah. well, you thing, too, yeah. The AMG GT is probably I'd square that off, especially the S. That sits with turbo. That's turbo territory. Yeah. And those are as fast as those cars are. They're a little cushy, and that's the point of them. You know, versus like the GT3, it doesn't really have a, a direct. I mean, its closest competitors maybe like the Viper ACR and a Z06 with the Z06 Z28 too, maybe Z28. But even the Z28, it doesn't have the cachet. As it good definitely as doesn't it, have the as cachet. good as it is, right? Right, but you the know, guy who would buy a, a GT3 wouldn't even sniff at a fucking Z28 till it's waxing him on the racetrack. Right. One thing about the GTS, however, like you drive it for a long on a long di- drive, it's a little bit of work, like the, the noise levels. And I know a lot about noise because I drive the Morgan all day. And the GTS <laughs> yeah. a little bit of work. And a modern on eleven, it can be quiet. It can be. A, Do you a quiet know? Car. Did that? G, did that AMG? Did that have uh, run flats on it? No, it didn't. It well, did. Actually, you know something. I don't. Because that can make all the difference. That I don't world. think Mercedes does the run flats like they, BMW I don't does. Know. I don't think they do. Another thing about uh, that. Now I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <I'm totally laughs> How was the drive? How was? Where'd you guys drive to? Uh, you know, I, we did the the Snake and these roads around Malibu. We went to Vegas and drove like an hour and a half east and went up. I think Highway ninety one. Okay, uh, that's towards, the fast one, yeah. right? Is that and the Valley of Fire one or yeah, whatever it's Valley called? Fire. Yeah, that's a good. Road. We did a little circuit around there, and then you know, off the top of my head, I'm suddenly not remembering. Uh, great roads. So and LA to Vegas, right? 
Yes. I uh, would give a large amount of money if there was a scene of you and Spinelli driving down the road recreating like five minutes of the Dumb and Dumber road trip together. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we spent the, almost the entire ride talking about how he was a guitarist in a Slayer tribute band. Which I didn't know. He was? Yeah, and I love Slayer. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. And he, he actually played several tracks, and it was great. They were almost like... You know, of his band? Yeah. Structurally, That's amazing. Structurally, very similar to the first album, which was uh, EP, was Hell Awaits, I think. And it sounded like Haunting the Chapel. It's one of my favorite Slayer songs. So this I, is a, this didn't make it in the video, right? I think it might. Well, there's two more videos coming. Okay. There's a, I think it's 15 to 20 minutes total. That was a great ride. And that car is uh, I mean, really terrific. And people can see it on Road and Track, right? That's uh, who it should no, car on, drive. Uh, on drive and road and track. Road, yeah, okay. Uh, I in fact it came out last week. I, did, I wasn't even told in advance it was coming. I hope to do more of those. I saw the pictures hit online uh, on Jalopnik the other day. So, so yeah, uh, but a terrific car, and it really just suddenly made me think that there are still such cars made that are really have character. Uh, and, that, and I have not paid attention to Mercedes for years, mm-hmm. but that car. The C sixty three is getting very favorable reviews. Um, it's Mercedes really stepped up their game. Well, in that the one's last still rear wheel drive, right? I think uh, it is. Yeah, it is. It's because AMG's moving to all wheel drive, so it, it, I mean e- that's a muscle car. It's a, it's a loud as shit, smoky burnout muscle car. And the Mercedes like interiors are really getting great, and the front treatment of all the models is becoming common and great. Yeah, it's, it's it a, looks a pretty really good. Great front. End. It does look pretty good. Uh, the, obviously, they have a few versions, as they always do. They have a few versions in Europe that I would you know, prefer to get my hands on. But that's the case for everything. So speaking of, of obscure-ish cars from Germany that are muscle cars, the Julia. Oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> God. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. it looks like a BMW German here. Oh, no, no. Not, German. Not it's Germany. awesome. From Europe. Europe, yeah. But it, it, everyone does say it looks like, what, what are they saying it looks like? The M- oh. People Five? say no. it looks like the like a Mazda six. It looks, it looks like, like the old one forty six Cobalt what? with a trunk. It looks like the one forty six with a trunk. I think it's a stellar. Oh my god! That's fantastic. The Quattrofolio is. You get it with a manual gearbox. Oh. See, it's I'm making a, like five hundred and ten horsepower. It's time, coming to the states. Every time I someone says that. Quattrofolio or whatever, I just think it's four wheel drive. But I know it's not. No, just that just means, it just, it means it's faster. Four leaf right? clover. That's all. Does, it means. does that does the quad, quadrifugio whatever the, does the Olive Garden edition come with a manual? <laughs> I I think so. Oh, and they, yeah. they did some noise. They did some noise clips of it. It sounded fucking great. Yeah, it, it sounds really it, good. It's a car. It's a car this market needs because Maserati Ghibli. Does that set you no, on fire? It's like no, a, well, it's no. closer to an Infiniti Q7. Right. <laughs> and the interior of the Maseratis feels cheap. Yes. Although the worrying thing is, is they're saying that the motor might be the same. It might be a derivative of that Maserati engine that Ferrari. Well, the together. engine's in the Ghibli's fine. I think yeah, it's, in the yeah. in the the whatever the it's Ghibli the dynamics is, that are yeah. Well, yeah. any kind of cachet a Maserati can have. If you drive around in LA and you see a billboard, you can rent a Maserati. You can lease a Maserati for six hundred ninety nine dollars a month. It's like, oh, okay, great. Me and every other goon on this block. And Maseratis dropped like eighty percent depreciation three or four well, years. Yeah, our yeah. man Jason Connor just found one at a. Uh, he's down in Oceanside and he saw one for sale at his local place and it was twenty nine thousand with. Wait, a Ghibli? 40, 000, no, a Quattroport with like 40,000 miles on it. Which, and he's like, no one should buy this car. <laughs> you know what, though? 29,000. I, I really That's like ridiculous. It's an awful car, but there are things about the Quattroport that I really like. This is the it old one, sexy. right? But is the last Quattroport? Yeah. Okay. The That's Quattro, still a sexy car. The Quattroport, though, you buy one of those in the used market. And that motor needs any work, and oh. you're going to be paying more for engine work than you paid for the car mm. because that's a that's a Ferrari 4.3, that's mm-hmm. a 430 motor. Hence the noise. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. So <laughs> well, coming back away. to this new 
Alpha. Mm-hmm. You love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Blake? Yes. yes. Absolutely. Well, oh. I've always liked Alphas. So I have a yeah. Alpha is like the one European brand that I have in ir- irrational love Likewise. for. Like I would buy it. I don't care if it, if it has problems. I don't. Right. Assuming, but what, what's how much will it cost? That's a good question. I if have no idea. I, it got ple- if it's fifty five. No, it's not going to be that cheap. Well, I know. They said under 100,000 euros, which is like, oh, could be anything. Be They're going to sell for $29,000, just like yeah. that Quattro if it's, if it's If it's on the better side of you know 80, even that's a lot, but it's, that's, a lot. It's, it's different in the market. So it can be a little bit of an outlier, but it can't be that much of an outlier. Yeah. So in contrast to the Alpha. I'll buy the, the Neiman Marcus version. The new Audi A4 <laughs> was just shown yesterday. That looks good, mm-hmm. too. But it's but it looks it. exactly like the old one. Well, yeah, it's Audis are like Porsches. It's just a minor revision with each. Yeah. Audi but what is they did, BMW from the year two thousand two. It's all different sizes, the same thing. But what they did to the uh, face of the R eight that looked pretty fucking good, and it looks similar, but it was changed enough. I don't like was, the new R eight. Oh, I, I like saw the them in R8. Germany, and they looked. Fucking I like the good. first generation more. I haven't seen a new R eight in person, clearly. And the ones but. I saw, granted. Were the race cars, so that helps a oh, lot. Oh, well, in that case, yeah. <laughs> I really think a Gen 1 R8 with a gated manual, Gen 1, like a stripped vert model of that, will be a, a big classic. The only problem, though, is is the, the, the V8 is fun. The V10 is so much better to drive. The V10 with a gated manual. Yeah. Got to get one of those right now. And those are going to be hard to find. I mean, the prices on those, like, you can buy a V8 now for 80 85 which, I mean, and it's not cheap, good, yeah. but that's not a bad price for a car like that. So the regular car but, reviews guys just reviewed a 2012 yeah. V10 manual oh R8. Oh, God. Oh, they did. Yes, I'm, could you imagine? I mean, that's, I, gotta, I, I love those guys. They're awesome. But and it's so awesome just that exploded. someone – Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they even yeah. – it, it was a really long episode. Um, but just – yeah, because – what those guys normally drive, and they normally right. never drive new. They've never gotten a press car, um, <laughs> and so for one of their they've driven viewers, awesome shit. One of their viewers to be like, "Hey, you want to drive my V10?" Uh, well, I, I remember when you, know, you daily a fit and when you, those you know, guys. You know, I've been talking with those guys for quite some time. And when they first came out here, I remember how tepid they were. They're like, "I can't let, believe that people are letting us drive their." Well, they were starstruck by right. Matt, and, yeah. And, yeah, and they were just freaking out about everything, and, and it's it's funny. Yeah, it's very funny. But I, 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 those guys are awesome. So I've more power you know, to them. been in touch with them since pretty much the very. Beginning. It's very nice to see those guys because they're the nicest guys in the world. They're so cool. It's just nice to see how well. And like cool, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. super nerdy, but they're super relatable, and at least to me, and they're such. Well, they're great clearly guys. geniuses. Like some <laughs> of the references they come up with, they're fucking amazing. English majors, English English majors, exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. What it is. Uh, and his his uh, his review, I think it was of a Boxster or a Cayman when he did it in the full Hunter S. That remains, mm-hmm. I think, yes. the best one of all That's time because he just nailed it. Yeah, and um, the one that I was on. Plug. You were on one of them? You remember the Aston Martin Vantage? No, I don't remember that at all. You brought them an Aston <laughs> he, Martin Vantage? No, he Skyped me. From the bathroom. Oh, segment. from the toilet. Yeah, yeah that was a toilet. weird one. That was a, that was <laughs> a weird one. No, we had a really we had a really nice conversation at the end of that video, so whatever. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Alex, we're winding it down a little bit here. Uh, what, I want you to take a moment to um, plug people, tell them where they can find you, follow you online. Uh, well, in a couple of weeks, I'll be relaunching my blog, which will be... Uh, Blitzi one forty four dot com, um, Alex one forty four on Twitter, Alex one forty four on Instagram, uh, and I'm writing for Jalopnik now every other week, but maybe weekly. And um, my next piece, I think, will be well, I hope 
Um, Richard Rawlings is the. Oh, bro- is I was the- gonna. I forgot to ask oh, you about God. Richard Rawlings. Is the- we can do one more topic? If no, you want. we have time. Go for um, it. Richard Rawlings is the Brian Williams of automotive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That hurts me a little bit because I used to enjoy some of the Brian Williams. I do stuff. not. But it's I'm deserving. I'm not the least bit surprised. <laughs> it's deserving. I, I don't even want to go near the whole like uh, oh middle aged dudes with spiky hair and like short sleeve button down shirts. <laughs> well, the camo paint on shit. So I, I'm, I'm friends for those of you listening. I'm friends with Alex on Facebook, and once a week now it seems like there's like because he had his tattoo. We were talking about the time of his tattoo. Oh yeah, there's, that, there's some good that, shit. I saw Here, that on here's, Twitter. Here's the deal. We can. I, as brief as I could be, but it could take three hours for me to talk about it. No. Um, so uh, in the summer, in this October of 2006, I went across country and broke the record. 31 hours, four minutes. Six months, but I kept it secret for one year. So my book came out October 2007. In the intervening year, during the quiet period, Rawlings went across. And he went across slower, 31.59. He took the route that was the route of the last cannonball. My route was like seven miles shorter. Uh, and he claims that because I went seven miles shorter, that mine is not valid. But the cannonball ran like four different routes and the express ran four different routes. So I showing all my math and everything. I showed that I could have crossed that seven miles in you know 12 minutes. So it would have mattered because I beat him by about an hour. Um, so Rawlings, uh, and, well, so I wrote a book, and The Driver, which came out in 2007. And in that book, I devote probably a quarter of the book is about him, and very favorably. He was a gentleman and a great competitor, if you can call him a competitor, um, and a mensch of the earth. He left me gas when I ran out of gas one time. I've always liked him, and he's been to my house. I've been to his house, and um, I knew he was writing a book, and I've kept in touch with him over the years, and I'm proud of him for everything he's accomplished. And then his book came out. And the, whereas my book devoted probably two-thirds of my book is devoted to the planning and prep and evidence around the cross-country record, the entirety of the description of his record in his book is probably less than a page. And it's the first page. <laughs> and he never mentions anyone, myself or Ed Bolian, in his book at all. He declares Did his book had, just come out. He came out like six weeks ago. Okay. He ha- according to Rawlings, he has the record. And that's it. No one's gone after him. And anyone before him is irrelevant except for the Ooh, guys in the old geez. days. And those first four or five pages of his book in which there's a smattering of sentences ha- are so rife with inaccuracies and missing information. For example, there's no dates or times. There's no witnesses. There's no video. There's no still photography. The witnesses are his wife <laughs> and... And a limo driver he claimed to have hired to block traffic out of Manhattan. There's literally not a shred of evidence that he ever went. Now, let me say this. I take him at his word as since I know him. I used to know him. I think he went. But to claim the record and then pretend no one went after you, who people who had evidence in a movie and a book, is disingenuous at best. And at worst, I don't want to say what it is. Sure. And that that I find that offensive because we're not race car drivers. Right. We go on the honor system and the group of people on the private cannonballers group on Facebook, all of whom include everyone who's done this, including veterans of the old days. Rawlings is the only person who's not part of that. He's <laughs> turned down invitations. He's turned down emails. He hasn't responded to me or and he has responded to some other people. I let them speak for themselves. He's declined to respond or show any evidence of any kind. And every potential witness that was there has also declined to respond. Mm. And that's why I'm 
working on this article. Sure. I may hand it off to someone else. I think it might be more powerful and, and convincing if another journalist who doesn't have a horse in this race sure, sure, sure. vets the research and, and, and publishes that. Now, research. you're cool with Ed, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, you know, let me say this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He, the absence of video is suspicious. Okay. However, everything else he's said, done, and everything I've seen Checks suggests out. he did it to me. Okay. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that I'm not the final judge or arbiter. Of course, of course. People, you know, the who are, the godfather of such things has changed over time. You know, there are people who contact Ed for help. People contact me. Um, you know, Ed and I poke fun at each other. And I think that's a, a part of the game. Of course. I think it's important that a high evidentiary standard be applied to such things because it will dissuade a 21-year-old and an STI from just going. Just going. If, the, if there's a cost associated with having to document it, and if you need to get real journalists on both ends, a, no, no journalists will show up for a kid you know, out of high school. No. But they might show up for someone with some cred. Yes. And I think that makes this safer. I, 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 I'm sleepless at night. This past weekend, someone who shall remain nameless, who might come forward, went across hmm. um, on a different route and was successful. And I wasn't sure that he would be, but he was. And I'm glad he was because, God forbid, anyone get hurt. It tarnishes everyone from me all the way to Brock Yates and Dan Gurney and everybody. And that's that's really the thing about, about Rawlings that upsets me is his cavalier attitude about it. Yeah. He's got a huge following. Huge. All it takes is one of Rawlings' fans to say, well, if Rawlings would get in a Ferrari and just go with no planning and no evidence, I will too. Rawlings is going to have a problem. Oh, yeah. And we all have a problem. Yep. So. How many people do you think try to attempt the record every year? Uh, well, I think uh, it's probably uh, between five and ten. Okay. Wow. I, I, I'm only directly aware of like two or three, um, and uh, they've never brought evidence forward. They've not beaten my time except for Ed Bolian, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, you know, I get a lot of requests for help. And I turned them all down. I will tell you that I, when I read the article that um, was on Truth About Cars, yeah. I knew it was fake right away. Just so you know. I'm yeah. glad you did. Um, <laughs> uh, I have some friends who didn't know and, and who were. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of our own editors posted the story and I'm reading it. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm like, there's no way this. Like, a- Alex can do some crazy shit, but there's no way that we're dealing with. All of the stuff he mentioned in the article. It was it's true. Two fantastic. It was, it was, the first indicator was second wheel. Yeah. Second indicator to me where I'm like, this is whole. Yeah, whole. dual control. The, uh, the, the second one that put the nail in the Rouge. coffin for me, though, was the FLIR. Oh, the FLIR was one of, all, of the things. First of all, guys, technically, everything that in that hoax was possible. Mm-hmm. It's certainly okay? possible. And Infinity called me afterwards, and we and we talked. Well, we we met at the car show. They said they would have helped, and a lot of people came out of the woodwork saying they wanted to help. Wow! I've had oh cops God. offer to help. Are you serious? When I spoke at the FBI years ago, they told me how they would do it. Oh my and, God! And and uh, and that hoax and the retraction turned out to be the best thing I've done in years because there are people. Because I planted in the hoax on April 1st a line meant to make it seem like it might still be true, which is I'm releasing it April 1st because it looks like a hoax. So you might think I actually did it even though it's on hoax day. And then I I retracted it. And the next day, people thought the retraction was a hoax. 
and that April 1st was my cover story for having actually really gone. Wow. There are still people yeah. who think it's real. That's awesome. I mean, well, the thing, that, the thing that tipped me off is because you said the Eau Rouge, and I'm like, Infinity couldn't even get the fucking transmission in the car to work. No way he got two of them to work, <laughs> even though he could do throttle by wire for the – and so I was like, no mm-hmm. way. Well, you know, the big point of that article really, the gestation of it was – Bolian at one point made a joke. He's like, well, you know, you can't fake GPS. I'm like, well, let's photo. So um, Greg Lede, yeah, uh, Greg Lede went out and, you know, he photoshopped all the GPS stuff and duplicated, you know, the quote unquote evidence that Bolian had. And then I was ready to get in a car and just go shoot some pictures, but we didn't have time. And um, that was, and hey, you know, come on, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Where but, is the BMW now? Um, the BMW uh, just got stickered up in. Um, period correct livery of 2003 nice. and, and, uh, and went on display at a, at a the collector car showcase in Long Island. And it was asked of me, since it's considered now a vintage race car, that to deliver it in period correct equipment. So I went on eBay and bought five uh, Garmin uh, 2610s from 2002 <laughs> nice. uh, for like 30 bucks each awesome. and loaded up the car. It's, and it's now period correct. That's pretty funny. Um, I, I should tell you uh, before we break. I know we have to go. Oh, you're fine. I want to just share with you. Uh, share with you. Um, I had. I did have another hoax planned for April first. <laughs> nice. And uh, it may still go off. I, I, the listeners, uh, the audience of this podcast is vast, but not so vast that I don't think I could pull it off if I reveal it now, <laughs> which I will. Cause I'm dying. I don't think I could pull this off. I really wanted to uh, announce that I was financing a NASCAR team. <laughs> and uh, when and I was uh, you know part of a uh, of a Grand Am team years ago, and Pontiac's team shut down. They mis- mistakenly believed I was much wealthier than I am, and ca- and they came to me and said, "Would you please buy the team? We'd love to work for you." Oh, shit. Because they knew that if they couldn't win, they'd get press. And, right. And I sadly declined. So I thought, you know, how much could it really cost running NASCAR? Not, I mean, it, it's in the realm of the possibility of what people think I have. Which I totally don't. <laughs> and then I was thinking about this, you know, the uh, upcoming Supreme Court decision, which I could not have anticipated that they would, you know, legalize gay marriage. But in anticipation of some controversy, I oh, thought, God. what would be better than if I la- announced a NASCAR team and then announced the first LGBT driver? Oh, yes. And then had a press conference where I, I introduced the driver. And then I was like, well, who would play the driver? It can't be me because I want to have a career after this <laughs> in, in automotive. But And so I started looking for, for someone to play Steve McDrag Queen. Yeah. <laughs> And oh then God. I decided I should just you know hoax the cross country time be easy. Nice. Are, are you gonna are you gonna revive uh, Jeff Gordon's Steve Rainbow Mick Warriors? Drag Queen. You know I I'm thinking that the the punchline of the press of the uh, press conference will be, you know the problem with uh, Danica Patrick is that she doesn't have balls. <laughs> <laughs> That would be fucking fantastic, and I hope someday we see that come to fruition. Well, um, you know, you should also bring that M5 next year on next year's Petrolicious Rally. I may do so. Um, it's vintage. Um, it's vintage dated. <laughs> I like the best M5s. <laughs> um, I will be doing some more uh, cross-country drives on the edge of legal and a variety of interesting cars coming soon, and you'll all be invited to come witness it. Awesome. And um, more fun to come. Awesome, awesome. Blake. Uh, now it's your turn to tell everybody where they can find you online. Well, I am actually working on a story about the Petrolicious Rally that I participated in this weekend, and it will also be on Jaloptic. Very cool. And um, it will involve a lot of fake mustaches and a lot of people named after guns. 
And uh, it's going to be great. Stay tuned for that. And you can always find me on BZRONG, BZRON, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. Chris, pimp this podcast. Uh, well, first off, you can find this on Shout Engine, which is my little podcast hosting company. We'll set you up with uh, some free hosting for your basic stuff. And if you get big and famous, then you can kick me 10 bucks or 20 bucks a month. There you go. So it's pretty cheap. Uh, we've got a lot of shows on there. Uh, and then if you want to find me, you can find me at Hayes Data on Twitter. <laughs> I never post anything to Jalopnik. Uh, and uh, that's it. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. All right, this has been episode 110. I, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm Hooniverse Jeff. On Twitter, I'm Jay Glucker. Also follow at the Hooniverse. Go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. We just passed 13,000. So I told you the real goal, though, is 25,000. Uh, but we this last, I'd say, 8,000 fucking it came pretty quick so i think we can get there there's been a uh, lot more video content yeah yeah trying to do it one to two a week um cranking them out um so go there youtube the we're the hooniverse on youtube so go do that go to the site go do all that fun stuff and we'll see you next week peace out <laughs>